Welcome to The Next Step, the podcast for students, hosted by Stint. Welcome to another episode of The Next Step. Our guest today is Bridget Simmons. Bridget is currently chairman of the Betting and Gaming Council, the body that represents over 90% of the industry in the UK. Prior to this, she was chairman of the British Beer and Pub Association for over 10 years. Bridget left school and decided to go straight into the army. She spent the first part of her career thrown into leadership roles at a very young age in different countries while responsible for hundreds of young officers. After the army, Bridget began her incredible work across UK sports. She was CEO of Business and Sports and Leisure for 17 years, chairman of the Sports and Recreation Alliance, the body which represents the sector to government, policymakers and media, a non-executive director of Leicester City Football Club, and has been involved in countless efforts to support sport on a local level, including sitting on the Sports and Lottery Fund, being a board member of Sport England, and working on projects with the likes of building Wembley Stadium. Last but not least, Bridget has also been a member of the advisory board for the last 12 months, and the constant advice, support, and encouragement she has given to Sam and I has been invaluable. If having an incredibly successful career within an area that you love, whilst also being able to impact so many people's lives, sounds like it appeals to you, then you're going to learn a lot from this chat. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Bridget, how are you doing? Good morning, Sol. I'm absolutely fine, thank you. And how are you? Beautiful 1st of March day, uh, lovely sunshine, what more can you want? Um, and beginning of a vaccination process, which is going to take us out of this restrictions that we all face at the moment. Well, to be honest with you, it's freezing here. I, <laughs> I, I love the weekend and then came into work this morning and had been shivering in my desk all morning. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm hoping it's going to get bright enough a little bit later on. First of all, before we start, I think it's worth telling our students a little bit about our relationship. You have been such an enormous help to Sam and I, from the, honestly, from the moment we got going. And having spent so much time with you over the last few years, I think that our students are in for a real treat and few people better to learn from. So to all of our students listening, I hope that you enjoy this conversation. I've been firsthand, and Sam, I suppose a student of Bridget in a, in a, in a certain way, um, but it's been incredibly helpful and she's been an enormous success along our journey. So hoping that today is as insightful as all the times that we've, all the sessions that we've spent with you. Um, you have an incredible career, and the place I want to start is about the army. I had never considered joining the army. It never came into my rationale. It, I was never even offered it, I don't think. It, it didn't come anywhere close to me. And I think a lot of university students that will be listening to this will be from a similar, you know, in a similar state. I don't think they would have been offered going to the army. Do you want to start by talking to me a little bit about your time in the army, how you got there? your experiences there, and what you think that did for you in later on in your career? Yes, of course. I just think back to my generation, in a sense. Um, both my parents served in the Second World War. Uh, my father was chaplain to the forces. My mother was Women's Royal Army Corps, which is what I became when she was originally auxiliary to territorial service. They met in the Berlin blockade. They were married in 1949. Um, and so in some ways, it was a natural thing, more natural now, perhaps, than, or more natural then than it would be now, for me to think that I wanted to join the army. And there were two things that um, I loved from school. One was sport, which was a passion for me and, and remains so. And the second was travel. And of course, in those days, the army was perhaps more widespread than it is now. 
but it gave me an opportunity. So I did a year actually doing some secretarial skills before I joined the army. So I joined the army at 19 and actually at 20 found myself responsible for the welfare of 120 service women uh, who were serving in the ordnance depot in Donington, which is near Shrewsbury in Shropshire. And, and actually you grow up pretty quickly. Um, but also for somebody, I, I think what has gone through my whole career has been that I love working with people. I enjoy understanding how people tick. I, or I enjoy encouraging people as, as I do with you and with Sam. Um, that's been really important part to me. I'm, I'm very enthusiastic. So I was responsible for uh, everything from, from how they felt, uh, their well-being, their work-life balance, and indeed for a whole lot of sport. Then I uh, went to work in a, uh, the Royal Artillery, so I went with 4-5 Field Regiment in Hohner, which is near Hanover in, in Germany. Um, I did two years, I was the only woman there, but I worked for a totally inspiring commanding officer, which meant that I, I learned a lot of what we would have called staff skills, but I learned to be well organised, I learned to do proper briefings, I learned uh, how to make decisions. I also went out and uh, during one of the exercises I was um, responsible for the firing of, of all or working with the adjutant on the firing of the guns. So, so I sort of drove a tank around Germany, not quite a tank, but a 432 around Germany. That was great. And then I went to Hong Kong to be the commanding officer of the Women's Royal Army Corps there. So again, their welfare, I met my husband who was in the Navy. And then I came back to the Ministry of Defence and I, there in the Ministry of Defence, you had a combination of serving officers and also civil servants. And actually I uh, worked in public relations for the army um, by that stage my husband and I got married um, in those days you couldn't stay in the services and uh, as women in the services and have children and actually we both left at very uh, similar times but again I worked for two men who went on to be generals they were very inspiring so leadership qualities that you learn in the services it was for me a fantastic um, career um, and something I look back in saying that I learned so many skills, um, uh, which so I, it's something that's great fun. There are two things I want to touch on that. Um, I think the first is responsibility at a young age. Obviously, this is something that I've had to experience over the last few years, and there are pros and cons for sure. I think many students won't feel like they're capable of taking on such a level of responsibility at such a young age. And I know that I, if I think about the traditional graduate experiences that a student would go on, there aren't that many, short of setting up your own business or I can't think of any else, to be honest with you. That's probably Actually, a bit naive with me. Wherever you are, there are opportunities for you to take on responsibility. I have three adult children, so not dissimilar in age uh, to you, Sol. Uh, one of them is a civil servant, so she works in the Foreign Office. She did read economics at university. Um, and you have to, she was briefing the Foreign Secretary the other day, you know, you're at a, at a relative young age. Our eldest son is an architect. He's currently in Uganda. He works with a charity called HHA, which started in Haiti actually lives in Norway. Um, he transformed a boat and sailed it to Norway. And our youngest son is a teacher and he teaches in a private school in, in Oxford. So I, I actually think there are plenty of opportunities, but you need confidence. And I think that's what we want to instill in students is confidence. And you need confidence to believe that you can be the best that you can be, but that you also, that your opinions matter. 
and that what you say is going to be really important in whatever work or career you take on afterwards. For, for sure. And I think that confidence is, is a theme that I've been discussing throughout this, this series, and it's something that I'm definitely going to come back to in a, in a little bit. But back to the, the responsibility angle. I think most of our students won't be feeling that they can handle responsibility. And I think that so much of getting to university, so much of it's been in education, spoon fed, looked after, get to university, similar sort of thing, very looked after. And, you know, you don't have to go out on your own. And of course, you know, being the foreign secretary is incredibly cool. But being responsible for 120 people, like you said you were, is a level of responsibility that's kind of different to that because one is you are responsible and you want to perform. And I think that's the traditional way in which 20, early 20s, you know, people feel like they are, that, that is their job. I think being in the leadership position at 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, whatever, early, very early in your career, I think what I'm trying to get across is that students can do it. You know, I've done it. I don't think I'm particularly special. You did it you're very special but you know what I mean I think there are lots of roles that you can get into in an early stage in your career and one of the things that we've seen here when we promoted people that are particularly young into that position of leadership is that immediate they just they just adapt to it immediately and they step up immediately and I'm keen I, I want this these whole these whole conversations are about enabling students to really understand what they can do and achieving their full potential and tapping into things like confidence like we've like you just mentioned do you think there's certain prerequisites to qualify for that level of responsibility or do you think it is something just learning on the job or you can just do it or we have these natural instincts inside of us that just take us on and, and enable us to do it i mean obviously joining the army meant that they give you training and leadership and that's what the, the army is about but actually for anyone i think one of the most important things is, is work out who your mentors are and actually one of the things for students i think during covid or indeed with, with several members of our family who worked here during COVID, is you understand far more about what they're doing and what their responsibilities are. And you can, and you can if you've got the right relationship, give advice. But that advice needn't be come from your home. It can be from people you work with. Understand who it is you can go and ask. You're not alone in this ever. And whether it be your friends or your family or people you work with, you need to have someone who you can go and say, is, am I made, is that the right decision? This is a really difficult a task that I've been set it's a really difficult decision that I've got to make is this the right decision and so work out who it is that you can ask who inspire there were many people in my life who um, continue to ask my advice and I've met at various stages all the way through and people like me are very keen to be to be asked to do that we've got lots of experience you know over many years I know and I think that's I think that's so, such a good point. I think it's come up multiple times in these conversations already about the role mentorship plays. And it's clearly something that's lacking from society and from the student experience. And that's very much what we're trying to do with these podcasts. I think you're right, Sam, you know, when Sam and I would ask you to join our advisory board, we were you know, nervous and we didn't think you would want to join our advisory board. And so I think that level of everyone feels like they can't ask for advice. They're not special enough. People don't want to, people are too busy. No, no students are sitting there feeling, yeah, I'm this epic human being and everyone's going to want to be my mentor etc cetera, etc cetera. and I think finding a way to tap into that a little bit more practically I remember the first email I ever wrote and I had no idea what to say in this email how to say it how to sign it off what does your sincerely mean all of these things can we talk a little bit about the role of trying to get a mentor generically if you are a student who hasn't thought or has no one in your network or has never thought about mentorship but is keen to find a mentor any tips you would recommend on how you would go about that process from start well, to finish obviously in university 
can often be lecturers or it can be those who are responsible for your for your welfare. And increasingly that is becoming much more important at university. I yeah. think the days you go to university sort of left you alone, so are gone. And I think mental health has become increasingly important to us all. Yeah. I just think it will occur naturally in a way as you begin your the work that you're going to do, that people will will ask for your help. I mean, for me, I, you know, it's not. I mean, when I met uh, you, Sol and Sam, I, I was so engaged with the enthusiasm that you have for what you do and for the what you're offering. I, I, because I grew up at, perhaps in a vicarage, I've always been really interested in the in communities, and in communities and making sure whatever background you come from, that you have that ability to succeed. Now, for me, it was about personal development through sport and life, and, and, and I've been lucky enough to do lots of work in sport um, uh, during my career. But it can be getting people want to be asked but also they become really enthusiastic about what they're doing and I, I you know like anyone um I, I haven't got time to do this all the time but, but often people say give a busy person something else to do and you just create that time I think that's very true I think you're completely right and I think one of the projects that at Stint will do eventually when we when we get around to it is trying to build up this this mentorship capacity because it's so important that people get such great advice. And as we started this conversation, I started by, you know, saying everyone how, telling everyone how grateful I was for all of your advice. And so I think mentor, I can't I can't emphasize enough how important mentorship is. And I think also getting a variety of mentors and just getting advice and and knowing you don't have to take all advice, but listening to all advice and being open-minded to all advice is incredibly important. Um, you mentioned how you want, you know, everyone from different backgrounds should have different opportunities, open to every opportunity possible. And you mentioned something quite quickly about the fact that you couldn't have kids if you, if you were in the army, if you remain in the army. Is that correct? Not, uh, not today. But in those days, um, you either had to, I mean, I did a short service eight year commission. You either had to leave at that stage or you would have had to have done 16 years and then be pensionable. But if you left in that time to have children, then uh, you lost, the, lost it all. Now they were correct that and various people uh, mentioned in the court but but I think combining careers with motherhood actually is is not that easy and I actually unearthed a letter that I had published in the Times on Friday the 31st of July 1992 and what I talked about there was we need to look at people who are halfway up the ladder and how they can cope with particularly in my case, it was having children, looking after children, and how you encourage them to come back onto that career, because there is still, and I, I mean, yes, there are many more women in senior leadership uh, positions than there were, but there is certainly not enough. And actually, as somebody who's worked in two very male-dominated industry, the, the, the Beer and Pub Association, which I ran all my, uh, all the people around my council chamber were, were, were men at CO level, women in senior positions, but not at that level. That would be true actually until very recently in my current role at the Betting Gaming Council. So uh, we need more, more to encourage more women to stay there, to think that they can have a family and, and continue to come back or look after elderly parents, whatever it is, and just have that confidence that they're going to be able to succeed and that people really want them to succeed. And actually, particularly as a woman, I, I think you bring, you bring different skills um, and, and actually, in my experience, actually what happens is that people behave differently, I think, with a woman uh, being chairman or chief executive. Um, and, 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 and I think that's 
really important. So, so to, you know, for, for men and women, it, it, you know, in both cases, you need to uh, get that, that, that mentoring, you need to find your ways to step up the ladder. But I think particularly with women, there's a lack of confidence. And whereas a man might be inclined to say, well, actually, of course, I'm the best. And yes, I deserve this pay rise and that promotion. I think too often women are not prepared to say that. And I think we need to encourage them to do exactly that. Do you know what? <clears throat> it's very interesting you say that. And Obviously, I'm in a pretty unique position because I, I feel like, you know, I studied politics university at A-level. Um, I would like to think that I'm of an ethical um, makeup that I'm making all the right decisions for how a company that's founded by someone born in the 21st, or not 21st century, but born by before the 21st century, you know, should be building a company. And I'm very, I take my, my position very seriously of being, you know, at the head of a company that should be a brilliant company from, or one of the first brilliant companies from someone in my generation. It's... And I think that I've noticed a lot of those things. And to be honest with you, I would be lying if I said I had any idea how to deal with it. I'm very grateful that we have a team at Stin of diverse people who are have been with us from the beginning. And we discuss all of these very regularly. And I think the confidence aspect among all everyone, not just women, but definitely exacerbated within some of our female employees um, is horrendous. And I have no idea how you address that, no idea how to solve that. But what you've obviously I mean it, it affected you in a different way to I suppose how it affects women today especially not you know some of those choices did it have an impact on you or how, how did you respond to that because for me I can't I can't comment on how you felt then but for me if I had spent eight years in a career I had to have the choice between pursuing my career in that same place or having ch children that's an unimaginable choice for me and something that I think is I totally un totally unfair and totally outrageous did you let that get to you or did you what was your mindset during that period my mindset was that I wanted to continue to work. I mean, the only time I took a gap actually was with my first child. The other two, I just sort of worked all the way through. Now, increasingly now, obviously, you get much more time off, and I think that's the right thing. But also, increasingly, you share it with your partner or husband, and, and I think again, that's the right thing. But it's once you've, it's inevitable that when your children are very young, you want to be there for them, and you feel guilty. I felt guilty when I was away going to meetings, or I was halfway around the world and there were or whatever it is and first of all you have to make that work with, with yourself and your partner in, in that in that way joint responsibility I think is really important but I think you've got to be certain that even if it takes you time that you are going to succeed at that later stage and actually my children will benefit from the fact I work because I think I instilled in something in them which is uh, is a healthy respect for hard work um, and if I had to go back and work late at night which I often did um, then then that's what I did to, to make that work but I think that's that's really important. I think hearing more conversations like this are super important and I think teaching people that someone like me I could do with all the education about how how to how to navigate some of these issues because there is no training out there. And I feel like it's an increasingly a public sector problem that's you know, put on the private sector and say, hey, so you go solve it out. And you know, despite having no education, no place to look for resources, it's this expectation that you can, you, you can handle really complex nuanced issues with something very simple. 
Interestingly, I think the public sector is better at offering training. I think they give more time uh, to, to training and encourage people to go on courses. And actually, that's something that we in the private sector need to do more of. We need to make sure that every time we have an appraisal with, with members of our team, that we're looking at, is there some training that they feel they would benefit from? And what could we do? And we ought to have a training budget. Uh, many of the companies, all the companies I've worked for, have had training budgets to make sure that you could go and do that. And people need to be encouraged to do it, because actually, if you're not careful, it's doing easy to say I haven't got time um, and actually uh, there are courses out there and people need to be encouraged to, to, to go and do that. I'm also a huge fan of apprenticeships because as you said I didn't go to university um, I think there are alternative routes and I think many people are taking them. Um, a university gives you a different sort of skill and a different sort of lifestyle in working up to that but I think both routes are equally important. I, I completely agree with you and you touched on two two things there that are that I'm that I'm keen to get to. The first is um, the role of public sector and private sector. Um, we haven't discussed across the podcast anyone that's really worked in the public sector. Um, I don't think. What do you see as the clear differences between work, a career in the private sector and a career in the public sector? And knowing what you know now, if someone is thinking about the choice of both of them, would you recommend going down one or doing or spending different types of your different moments of your career in both? What what do you see the the pros and cons of the private versus public sector? I'd go for different moments of it in both. Um, so I'm lucky that I've worked in both. I mean, the difference is, I mean, working in the Ministry of Defence, it was all rather, rather amusing. It came to the 31st of March, and if you didn't spend this budget, you were going to have to lose it, because that's the way public sector finances work. So I used to run around, around players, places of the world, trying to persuade them to buy cameras and various things uh, to go with that. Um, I think there is a different attitude towards funding, but understanding that funding, particularly if, in my case you're going to work with government you have an understanding of what their criteria is and how uh, if they're going to give you money um, you need to have a very clear um, understanding of how you've spent that money and you need to be able to put, feed that back to government but of the sort of restraints that they work with in public sector funding so actually I've been very glad that I've worked in both I wrote a book on public private partnerships which was mainly about partnerships with local authorities and the private sector in terms of sport so I looked at um, everything from a housing action trust in in Hull and how they were encouraging people to become more active to how David Lloyd Leisure could work with British Swimming to allow their swimmers to swim in their pools to uh, a trotting um, uh, uh, centre that was built somewhere in Wales. And it's many years ago, but I think having an understanding of the restraints of both, but the opportunities of both and how in, more importantly, the two work closely together is going to be the success for our country today. And speaking more practically and thinking about someone that's applying for jobs now, you know, deciding on that next step in their career, is there culturally a, a difference between private and public sector? I mean, what can you expect if you're going to work, you know, for a ministry versus if you're going to work for a, for a startup or a bank or, or, or an institution in the private sector? I think possibly work-life balance is possibly easier in the in the public sector. I, um, I think they give you time to, to do things um, and you have a very clear, in some cases you have flexi time, but I mean, you work hard, but there are opportunities 
but to have space. And I think that that's important. And some people will choose that as a student. They want to start through that area. You can find if you go and work for, a, you know, a big consultancy or whatever, that you're just expected to work all hours of the day and night. And, and I worry about that. I worry about that in terms of people's mental health. I think that it's not good for you. I mean, as, as, as you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of physical activity. So keeping active and fit has always been important to me. It's partly because I'm asthmatic, so I need to take exercise to help with that. Um, I ran my first marathon in Macau when I was in my 20s, but my second in London when I was in 40, and I ran my fastest time when I was in my 50s. Not that I'm in any form of an of a, of a, of a elite athlete, but I'm somebody who, who, who even now, I'm, I'm cycling in, in COVID, I'm cycling, I'm back running, having had my knee replaced, um, and I'm swimming because we're lucky enough to have a river which is tidal here, um, obviously in a wetsuit at this time of the year. But at so keeping active is and whatever you choose to do is really important. Uh, it's not only important for our physical health, but it's important for our mental health too. I completely agree, and I think the the working hours in some of the in, in some of those places are absolutely absurd. And I think there'll be lots of students listening to this that are applying to work in places like that. And I think they will be made to seem so normal because everyone around you does it. And I've been in those shoes. It is absolutely crazy. And once you step back and you see how normal people work and how normal environments work, and we're not talking about a nine to five, we're talking about something that's a more aggressive than that, but you know, just not working in some of those places where they work into the very, very early hours of the morning. Um, I do think though, uh, Sol, you'll probably have, you'll have to think at some stage during your career, if you're going to succeed, that you are going to have to put in those hours. There were very few businesses, even if you're in the public sector, where you won't have to do that. That's the demands of someone who really wants to succeed. And I, and, and, and it's there, but I also think that COVID has taught us anything. So many people working at home. It has been, first of all, the importance of work-life balance, but secondly, the importance of people's mental health and that they have the right time and the right support. And, and I hope that going forward as a nation, we will be better at that than we have been in the past. A hundred percent. And I think that I love the fact that you said that, because I think often what I see is we, we hide away from that narrative of hard work is needed. I think it's very easy to be like work-life balance, work-life balance, work-life balance. You know, I think work-life balance is very important, but it's, and I, and I don't mean it in terms of let's leave it, you know, let's not have balance because if you don't have balance, you'll just burn out. But I think that, there's this idea of it should all be it should all be play it should all be playing there isn't this need for work what i was talking about there like obviously at stint we have an incredible work ethic i'm an incredible culture we don't have a early hours of the morning culture which i think is where the line draws in my opinion and i think that there are so many people that and this is again like a myth that we should try and debunk about like what hard work actually means i think there are the, the, the connotation at university is that there are all these a few industries out there that, that the expectation is you're coming into the office at 9, 10 and you're staying till 3, 4 in the morning. And that is unsustainable for anybody, um, no matter who you are. Um, I think it's of about course, outcomes, not outputs. So this is not about how much you put, you actually put out there. It's are you achieving the right outcomes for your business, 
for your work, for your colleagues. I also think the other thing is it's important to be able to play as well. You know, you, you people have been having online quizzes or whatever it is, um, social interaction, which has been really difficult at the moment and, and probably will continue to be so for, for a long time to come, is actually really important. And, and I feel for people, I really feel for people who are in sort of one bed flats on their own, um, not able to see anybody and just constantly in front of their, their computer and you've just got to make sure that works but that you've got friends family or whatever who you're talking to and spending time with because that's important too 100 percent. and you mentioned we've spoken a bit about how sport plays a role in you know being you know helping your mental health being keeping you active but i think it's also an incredible teacher it's for me if i look at the skills that i've got today that i use every day all of the lessons came from sports all of the lessons came from playing football and you know trying to compete and, and managing it and leading a team all of all of those and i think sports can be really a really good a, a, a great force for good in connecting the world and you know bonding and ensuring diversity i mean how many people do you talk about football that are entirely different to you it's the best form of bonding with someone you could be somewhere exactly. all around the world if i see somebody in a harry kane shirt in the middle of nowhere i'm still going to go up to that person and speak to them about harry kane because i'm assuming we both love harry kane well my love of football started because my father took me to stand on the on the terraces of filbert street i got I growing up in leicester um the part of leicester we lived in was very um it was boot and shoe manufacturing at that stage that started me and i'm very lucky because i went on to be a director of leicester city and, I, and i've continued to follow them and as indeed i do leicester tigers and their cricket ever since um but it, it, actually football is something you can have you meet as you rightly say doing any form of sport you meet so many people from so many different backgrounds and and i'm very lucky that i've i've, I've both worked at it in a voluntary capacity but 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 it's something that steered me all the way through. hundred percent. And I think I love how you just casually put in that you've been a director of, of Leicester City Football Club. But again, we've heard, you know, an incredible career from not going to university or, you know, spending some time in the army to then going on and, you know, taking such leadership, such leadership positions. Um, I think one of the things that we've spoken about, but most people wouldn't understand, or I certainly had never understood, the difference between a CEO and chairman and understanding the difference of the roles, the responsibilities, the different skills. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I think that despite it being quite a way off for some of our students, having that big goal in mind and being informed enough to make certain decisions throughout their career to lead to that end goal is a really important skill that I think I do quite a lot. And I think lots of people could benefit from. So having an eye on the prize, even if that prize is 20, 30 years out, I think it's quite important. So it probably won't necessarily be 20, 30 years out. So I was the chairman, um, I, I was chairman eventually of the Sport England Lottery Panel, and indeed I was a member of the Board of Sport England, gave very, very much public sector. Um, I then uh, obviously combined that with a day job as a chief executive, and then I was full-time chief executive of the British Beer and Pub Association, and now I'm a part-time chairman of the Betting and Game Council. The difference to me is if you're a chief executive, you're responsible for the day-to-day -day work of that organisation, for directing it, for leading it, for uh, making sure that it, it functions for its welfare, for all of those things. When you become a chairman and you've got to understand what the right relationship is between a chief executive and a chairman, um, you, you are 
you're not there to interfere. You're there to give guidance. You're there to give advice. You're there to make sure that the corporate governance of the organization uh, runs properly. But you're also there as somebody who your chief executives can come to and say, I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think? And you're there to make the connections with other senior people um, in a whole raft of organizations. I have no fear in going out to anyone, whoever they are, and saying, um, you know, I need your 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 help. I, I, I can I make connection with you? Let, let's take a good example. So last year we had a virtual Grand National, if you remember, and actually uh, the Betting and Gaming Council raised, um, I think, three million pounds for for the NHS charities as part of that. I had to write to the uh, chairman of ITV and say, if anyone learnt what the result of this, because it was a virtual race beforehand. Will lose, everyone will lose all that money. And you just have to make sure that you are prepared to make those connections and you stand up to the plate and say, I'm prepared to write that letter. I'm prepared to have that conversation. I know it's going to be difficult. So there is a different role to being the chairman. And actually I've enjoyed both. I was um, chairman of the Sport and Recreation Alliance for six years. Um, my, my, actually my chief executive was a man called Tim Lamb who'd been the chief executive of English and Wales Cricket Board. Um, uh, I, I think to be fair to Tim, he probably never worked because cricket in that with a woman before. But uh, so you've got to make sure you can make that that relationship work. But I see absolutely no reason why it can't. And the skills are different. But but don't say you won't take on whether it's chairman of your local sports club or chairman of your team or there are skills that you can learn at a really early age and people will learn them at university they don't be the the being chairman of the bar committee whatever it is that they're doing locally and you want to keep to understand what those skills are and keep them going through your whole career amazing the final question to just to, 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 to tie off this conversation if I had described to you the career that you'd had when you were 20 years old, 21 years old, would you have thought, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. That's, you know, I see that happening. How much of your journey has been a collection of hard work and experiences come to you and you take those opportunities or how much of it was very planned from the start? Well, actually, it wasn't planned from the start. Um, I, mean, I planned that I wanted to join the army. I feel I've been enormously lucky. I have had a wonderful career. I won't say there haven't been some difficult moments in it. Of course, there are. No one's going to find there are difficult moments. Um, and that there haven't been choices that I've had to make. Um, but actually, um, I'm, I'm a great believer that these things will work out. I often say to people when they say, well, I didn't get that problem, I'm so disappointed, is think about if that door closes, another window will open. And I've always been lucky that at various stages of my career, that window has opened and I've made that choice to make that move. And I, I, I mean, I've worked in some difficult industries, both alcohol and you could argue now in the, in the gambling industry, but actually I'm a real believer in people have the right to choose their leisure time, but we need to make sure that they're safe in doing that um, and, and and if you like my background where I started from living within in local communities being brought up in a in in, in a clergyman's household has been part of that um, and it's instilled it instilled standards you've got to have standards of what you're prepared you're prepared to do you've got to I have a very strong moral code. Um, I'm a practicing member of the Church of England. I, I, there are things that 
I believe in and they have been have, have helped me to make the decisions that I have made all the way through but I've been very fortunate in the careers I've had just have confidence it will work out for you amazing I think that so many of our speakers so far haven't had any sort of plan and have all gone on to achieve great things and so the message to students is if you are sitting at university and thinking wow the next 25 years of my life are very very scary you know follow the advice no one seems to have it all figured out absolutely i'm sure there's something somewhere which is going to be the right career for you it may be not the one that you're thinking of now but have the courage of your convictions to make a change if it isn't uh, and seek out opportunities to do many other things i think one of the real benefits for me is i've always done 101 things at once so I've been doing voluntary work in 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 sport as well as doing a, a full-time role and I think seek out those opportunities because they will then lead you to being offered other, other jobs and opportunities which perhaps you haven't thought about but actually works for you. Amazing thank you so much for today. Pleasure thanks.